invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. As we continue our, our series through the book of Romans, uh, we, we come to the great conclusion of Romans 8 this morning. We'll be looking at Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. And uh, before I read, I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word. Lord God, how good it is to gather together and to sing of your love. And I pray, O Lord, that as we turn our attention to your word, you will take us even deeper into this great truth of your love for us. Lord, give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear and give us hearts to receive these deep truths this morning. May you work within us, O Lord, a, a deep and abiding assurance that comes from your, an understanding of your deep love for us. I pray that you would do your work in us, O Lord, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, Romans 8. And now just before I read, I'll just give you just a brief refresher of last week. So we uh, started this concluding section, Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, last week. And I mentioned that there are these five uh, rhetorical questions that Paul asks that reveal five profound spiritual truths, all that speak to the security of our salvation in Christ. And we looked at the first four questions last week, and, and then we'll look at the, the last one this week. But just to give you a refresher of those questions, Paul says, and, and it's not on the screens, but just, you can just have to listen to uh, this review of, from last week. Paul had said, what then shall we say in response to these things? And here's the first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the spiritual truth was that nobody can, no enemy can prevail over us because God is on our side. God is for us. The second question was, uh, how will God not also along with Christ graciously give us all things? And the answer was that he will graciously give us all the things that are tied to our salvation because he's already given us the greatest thing in the giving of his son. And the third question was, well, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And the spiritual truth is that no one can bring any effective charge against God's chosen people because it is God who justifies and the fourth question, who then is the one who condemns? And the spiritual truth is that no one can condemn us because Christ Jesus, who died for us and has, has been raised to life, is now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so all of those four questions lead to this last one. This is the climactic question and really is the foundation underneath all of the other questions that Paul has been asking, and it's a question that speaks of, of God's love for us. So Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You may be seated. The early church father, John Chrysostom, was brought before the Roman emperor Arcadius, and he was facing false charges that were uh, related to his, his Christian faith, his Christian witness. And uh, when the emperor pronounced his sentence of banishment, Chrysostom said, you cannot banish me for this whole world is my father's house. And the emperor said, then I will kill you. And Chrysostom said, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I will take away your treasures, the emperor said. And the old man replied, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven. And he concluded his little speech before the emperor with these bold words of assurance and faith that, that come straight from our text this morning. He said, there is nothing that you can do to harm me because there is nothing in all of creation that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. My prayer for us this morning is that God may work in us that same kind of assurance this morning. These concluding verses of Romans 8, I have never preached on before. I've referenced them, I've quoted them, but it's, they're almost too sacred. I, I, I had, there's nothing I could say to add anything. Any, to say anything is to only detract from the beauty of them. They form the very summit of the whole letter of Romans, the, the great mountain peak of the greatest chapter. And the central theme, like I mentioned, the central theme of these verses, of these concluding verses of this greatest of all chapters in the Bible, the central theme is love. Of course, one of the popular songs by the Beatles said that all you need is love, all you need is love, love is all you need. That was the Beatles, right? I think it was the Beatles. All right. And we find the love that we most deeply need in this text. We find the unbreakable grip of God's love in Jesus Christ. So as we enter into the text this morning, we're going to see really three things. We'll see the, the question that Paul asks, and then the answer that he gives, and along with it, the spiritual truth that it reveals. And then finally, we'll look at some implications for our lives. And so the question that Paul asks is in, is in verse 35, and Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, if we are secure in Christ's love for us, then, then nothing else really matters. That is the most important thing, and, and we can endure anything if we are secure in that one thing. And then we can say with Chrysostom that, that no matter what happens, that no real and enduring harm can come to us. Now, Paul provides a whole litany of things that may threaten to separate believers from the love of Christ. He names specifically seven, seven things, and they, they are all various forms of affliction. All of this, this list of seven things all fit under that broader category, that umbrella term of afflictions. These seven things represent the, the strongest punches that the world can give, the, the heaviest artillery in its arsenal of affliction. 
So Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here are the seven forms of affliction that he names. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. These are all things that threaten to undo us. Things that that try to to pry us away from the grip of Christ's love on us. And and they cover the whole range of, of sufferings and afflictions that we endure. Things like tragic loss and debilitating disease, uh, persecution, poverty and hunger, terror and even execution. These are the kinds of things that believers endure in this broken and troubled world. I'm going to draw your attention just to most of those are fairly straightforward. Nakedness, we, I think we, it conjures up images that Paul didn't mean. It doesn't, uh, nakedness meant that poverty, not having enough income or not having the resources to provide clothes for yourself. But I want to draw your attention specifically to the last one in Paul's list, the sword. Uh, the sword was the main weapon of choice for Roman executions, and it's in that context that we have to hear the word in this list. Paul was writing to Roman Christians during a time of increasing opposition and and persecution and hostility under the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. The Christians in Rome were, were facing real threats of persecution and death at the hand of the state. In fact, in a few short years from the time of Paul's writing, Christians would be led like lambs to the slaughter, and they'd be forced to fight to the death in the arena, and they'd be set on fire and, and burned alive as torture for Nero's entertainment. It's in this context of increasing hostility and, and persecution that Paul says in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is a quote. Uh, Paul is quoting Psalm 44. And uh, the context of that psalm is instructive for us to understand how Paul is, is uh, using it here in Romans 8. Uh, So Psalm 44 is a psalm of complaint. It's a psalm of lament. And the psalmist is lamenting that God has allowed his people to endure uh, affliction and hardship at the hands of their enemies. And at the heart of the psalmist's complaint is that they were suffering these things, not because they had forsaken the Lord or because they had turned to foreign gods as they had done throughout their history, but, but they were suffering these things in spite of or even because of their loyalty to God. That's, that's what the psalm is about. Now, let me just give you the, uh, the quote in its context so you can see the sort of the, the broader context of Psalm 44. So here's Psalm 44. The psalmist says, You gave us up, he's talking to God, you gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You, you made us a reproach to our neighbors. And all of this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back and our feet had not strayed from your path. And yet, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that, of course, is what Paul quotes here in Romans 8. The psalm describes the reality that that God's people suffer hardship and affliction even when they are are loyal to him and faithful to his covenant. And that was true of the Roman Christians as well. 
They would face suffering and even death for the sake of Christ, for their loyalty to Christ, for their commitment to Christ. And like the Roman Christians, we too will endure afflictions when we walk faithfully the road of discipleship. And the question then that Paul puts before us is this. Can these severe forms of, of affliction, including persecution and even death at the hands of enemies, can, can these severe forms of affliction separate us from the love of Christ? Can the harshest blows that the world delivers pry us away from his loving grip on us? That's, that's the question. That's the, the, the climactic question that Paul asked and the climactic question that we need an answer to. And Paul's answer comes, of course, in verses 37 to 39 when he says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And he puts it in really the most, the most comprehensive language possible. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul uses a, a number of word pairs in, in uh, this list, four of them, which you see in, in red on the screen. And each of these four word pairs uh, conveys two extremes with the implication that, that everything in between is included. And so, for example, neither death nor life refers to all of existence. And, and neither angels nor demons refers to, to all cosmic spiritual beings. And neither the present nor the future refers to all of time. And neither height nor depth refers to all of space. And in case that doesn't quite cover every possible threat that is out there, Paul adds these two sort of standalone ideas or standalone concepts, which you see in blue on the screens, nor any powers in verse 38, and then just this, this, this catch-all phrase, nor anything else in all of creation in verse 39. And taken together, this is as emphatically comprehensive as Paul can possibly get. It's almost as if he's just throwing every, everything that comes to his mind, every word that he can think of, every concept they can think of, he throws it all out there to make his point unmistakably clear that there is absolutely nothing in all of creation that can separate believers from the love of God in Jesus Christ. When I uh, do premarital counseling with couples, one of the issues that the assessment that I give, the assessment that I use, one of, the, one of the issues that that assessment measures is something called idealistic distortion. And idealistic distortion is a measure of, of whether or not one or, or both of the individuals in, in the, the relationship tend to see the relationship in an idealistic way, do they tend to see the relationship through sort of rose-colored glasses? In a, in a naively positive, naively optimistic way, are they entering into marriage with, with realistic expectations or are they entering into it blinded by their young love? And so the assessment will ask certain questions and it's kind of hidden throughout so that they don't know that they're trying to gauge this. But it'll ask questions like, or have statements like, nothing could ever cause me to question my love for my partner. Or the love that we feel for each other will never fade. 
And if an individual strongly agrees to these kinds of questions, then it is an indication of idealistic distortion, that they are not seeing things realistically, that they are naively optimistic. They just think that nothing bad could ever happen, nothing could ever challenge our love for each other. And on the surface, it may seem like Paul is suffering from idealistic distortion. I mean, his statement is, is the kind of just over-the-top statement that characterizes those new couples who are blinded by love and just can't stop gushing over each other. But there, there is no idealistic distortion in these words of Paul. He is not painting things in a naively optimistic light. That This is simply the way things really are. This is the way, this is the way it really is. There is, in fact, in actuality, there is nothing in all of creation that could ever separate believers from the love of God in Christ. And out of this reality comes the profound spiritual truth of this last question, that we are more than conquerors. I love that phrase. More than conquerors. Paul says, in all, in all these things, not after all these things, not, not uh, you know, uh, if you get beyond these things, but in the midst of all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is who we are in Christ. Even in the midst of life's hardest struggles and afflictions and sufferings, we are not defeated, we are not lost, we are not forsaken. We are more than conquerors. In, in uh, Greek, that expression, more than conquerors, uh, actually the, the, whole, the whole phrase, we are more than conquerors, is a translation of a single word in Greek. It's a compound word, but it's the word hypernikao. Let me just break that apart for you a little bit. The word hyper, we've encountered before, it's a, that, that prefix, uh, uh, which we also use in English, uh, like if a child is, is hyperactive, he, is, he or she is over the top active, right? So hyper has the same kind of sense in Greek. It means above and beyond, or more than, or, or super. And so uh, super nikao, or hyper nikao. And, and the main verb nikao means to conquer, or to attain victory over an interesting little side note for those of you who, who are, are interested in this kind of thing. Um, the, the brand name Nike, uh, Nike shoes, Nike clothes that we wear, uh, is derived from the Greek nikao. The, the noun form is nikai. So technically, you don't wear Nike shoes, you wear nikai shoes. Um, and, and, uh, but that, that is derived from, this, this Greek, uh, from the Greek concept of, of victory. So that, that's, that's where Nike comes from. Uh, so that main verb, nikao, means conquer, to attain victory over. When you put those two things together, hyper nikao, it is this emphatic expression that means to be overwhelmingly victorious. In all of our trials and afflictions, in the face of, of whatever the world may throw our way, we are overwhelmingly victorious. We are super triumphant. We are more than conquerors. Such a powerful powerful word. The word suggests that not only do all of these afflictions fail 
to separate us from the love of Christ, but that we triumph over them and through them. That the evils that threaten to undo us not only fail to do so, but, but they are turned on their head and God works through them for our good. That's, that's the difference between being a, a conqueror and a more than a conqueror. A conqueror is one who's simply not defeated and more than conqueror subjugates the enemy. And so the afflictions that assail us not only fail to defeat us, but, but God turns them into tools to achieve his loving purposes in our lives. That's what it means to be more than conquerors. I think we see an example of this in the story of, of Catherine Wolfe. Uh, in 2008, uh, Catherine Wolfe was pursuing a modeling career when a, a, a massive brainstem stroke nearly took her life and left her permanently disabled. And she now struggles to walk and eats all of her meals through a, a tube in her stomach. In an article she wrote uh, recently uh, in a Christian magazine, she says, I used to power walk the hills of Pepperdine, and now I agonize with a walker to take a single step. And yet through it all, she has learned what it means to be more than a conqueror. And she says this in her article. She says, affliction has led to a beautiful deepening in me. Pain has been an instructor bringing me closer to Christ. And one day we will trace the lines of our scars and find them to have fallen in the most pleasant of places. And in the glory of Christ's face, the darkest suffering and loss we have endured will fade like shadows at daybreak. In our afflictions, we are more than conquerors. That's what she's getting at, that, that God has used these afflictions. Not only, not only is she not defeated by them, but God is using them for, 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 uh, for good in her life. Not only do our afflictions fail to defeat us, but we triumph over them as God turns them into tools for our good and for his glory. And again, remember the context of our identity as super conquerors or hyper conquerors. The context here is, is the love of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. So what, what Paul is saying is that, is that Christ's love for us is totally and irrevocably secure. That his love for us prevails through all the trials and all the storms. That his loving grip on us will not and, and cannot be pried away. And so our confidence is, is not in our love for Christ, which of course is frail and, and fickle and faltering, but it's in, in his love for us, which is steadfast and, and faithful and unyielding. James Boyce put it this way. He said, like a mountain climber ascending a dangerous precipice, secured only by a rope, the Christian walks through life secured by the stout cord of God's love. And he says we may slip and fall, we may get tripped up at times by our own failures and sins, but we are secure because we are bound by the gracious and unchanging and eternal and indestructible of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that is the great question of this text. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the great answer Paul gives is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ with its corresponding spiritual truth, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. So having explored this 
question and answer in this climactic conclusion of Romans 8, I want to turn our attention now to some implications for our lives. What, what does this unyielding and unrelenting and, and inseparable love of Christ mean for the lives of believers today? And I want to leave us this morning with, with three crucial implications. The first is this, that we ought to live boldly and radically for the kingdom of Christ. If we know that, that nothing can separate us from his love, then, then this frees us to take risks and to go all in as we follow him. Not, not to just sort of lag behind, not to be sort of on the periphery and, and be a, a casual follower, but to go all in in our discipleship, to go all in in our following of Jesus Christ. I love the way John Piper put it when he said, on the far side of every risk, even if it results in death, the love of God triumphs. This is the faith, he says, that frees us to risk for the cause of God. It is not heroism. It is not lust for adventure. It is not courageous self-reliance. It is not efforts to earn God's favor. It is childlike faith in the triumph of God's love, that on the far side of all our risks for the sake of the kingdom, God will still be holding us. Several years ago, we took a family trip to Tennessee and one of the things that we did while we were on that trip was we did, we did a ropes course, and it was the highest, it was the, the craziest, highest ropes course I had ever seen. It wasn't this one. It was, it was 10 times higher than that one. <laughs> Not really, but it felt like it at the time. So it was this insanely high, crazy ropes course. And if you know me, I've, I've mentioned before, I think, that I'm not, I'm not a big fan of heights. Not a big fan of heights. And, uh, they, but they got us all hooked up and they got us secured with all, you know, all the, the straps and the carabiners and all these things. And they sent us on our way. And when I first started, I was very, very hesitant and, 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 and cautious and, and tentative, right? Just taking these, these really, just, you know, clinging for dear life and taking the really slow steps and, and just, you know, easing my way along. And uh, because I, I didn't want to fall, I did, you know, fully trust the straps. Um, and then, of course, at some point, I took that first, I took that first misstep. I, I tried to stand on an obstacle, my foot slipped, and, and, I, and I fell. And my heart just, just leapt for a moment. But, of course, I, I, I didn't actually fall. The straps caught me, and I was just hanging there, suspended, dangling, fully secure in midair. And, and with that newfound security, the testing of the straps, I attained this new freedom and boldness on the ropes. And so instead of taking these small and hesitant steps, I began to move with greater speed and courage across the obstacles, almost catching up to our son Ethan, who was probably like five at the time and was way ahead of me. And I went, began to take on greater speed and greater courage and went to these greater heights and took on greater challenges. And that's what this text in Romans does for us. We are so deeply assured of the unfailing strap of Christ's love that we are compelled to live boldly and, and radically in service of his kingdom. We are free to try new things and to, to take on new adventures and to, to go into new ministry opportunities, even if it seems like, you know, I, I, I couldn't do that. 
I, I don't have what it takes to, to do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, the courage to, to do that new adventure. And we are free to, to, to go to those places and do those things that we feel like we can't do. We are emboldened to a discipleship of greater risks and greater heights and greater challenges, knowing that we are serving the kingdom with the assurance of, of total and irrevocable security in Christ, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love and so live boldly and radically in service of his kingdom. The second implication is that since we are filled with this amazing and unyielding love of Christ, we ought to be filled with love for others. This is the steady drumbeat of John's message in his letters. I read part of it this morning earlier in our time of worship. John said, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And now what? So what does that mean for us? How do we live in response to that? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Out of his deep and unyielding love for us, we are called and compelled to love each other. We see the same thing in Paul's letter to the Colossians where Paul said, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and again, there, there's the indicatives of grace. There's our identity. That's who we are. We are God's chosen people, holy and loved by him with this unyielding, unrelenting kind of love. As God's chosen people so dearly loved, Paul says, clothe yourselves with these things, with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, so you've clothed yourself with all these things, now take this, this, this robe like a cloak that, that goes over them all. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The deep love of God for us compels us to clothe ourselves with love for others. And let me just say that we need to take these words to heart as a congregation, especially as we engage in difficult conversations and in difficult, difficult issues and topics, things like ministry shares, discussions, and, and potentially polarizing issues. Let us gaze often upon the cross. And behold how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That in whatever conversations we have, we may be filled with love for our fellow brothers and sisters. The third implication is that we ought to be filled with deep comfort and hope. You see, this text reveals our deepest identity that this is who we are. That we are those who are loved by God with an unyielding and unrelenting and unstoppable love. I mean, every other love that we experience is just a, an echo of this, this one deepest of all possible loves. And, and knowing that we are loved with that kind of love changes everything. 
I mean, we can handle any affliction and any hardship and, and any trial and any suffering if we know that we are held by the, by the loving hand of God. If we are loved by God in Christ, then, then we have everything and, and we can lose nothing, as, which is what Chrysostom was saying to, to Arcadius. There is nothing in all of creation that can pry us away from the grip of God's love in Christ. And, and, and some of us need to hear this as well. So can we ourselves pry us away from God's loving grip on us? And the answer is no. Not even our own failures and sins. Do you hear that? I mean, some of, some of you might be here this morning and you have messed up again. You've tripped up the same old recurring patterns of sin. You think, how can I possibly, how can I, how can I be a child of God? I must not be a child of God. I must not be secured by his loving grip because I keep tripping up. Not even your own failures and sins can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Even in our struggles and our doubts, even through our wanderings and our waverings, his fierce love will keep us, if we are truly in Christ, his fierce love will keep us to the end. And so we are not forsaken and not rejected and not abandoned and not condemned and not lost and not empty and not alone and not ashamed and not without hope. We are held by the unbreakable grip of God's love. There's a beautiful song that I was going to play for you, but it's about five minutes long, and I decided not to. But I would encourage you to look it up, and I'm going to quote part of it for you. But it's a, I, find, I find the song really deeply moving. It's a beautiful song called Runaway by Jess Ray. It's a song that is inspired by the children's book Runaway Bunny, which speaks of the, the, the mother bunny's deep love for her runaway bunny, that, that she'll, whatever the bunny does to try to run away from the mother's love, she will chase her down and, and bring her back. And so, but the song puts a, a Christian twist on that children's book and says that's the kind of, that's how God loves us with that, that kind of unrelenting, unyielding, uh, never forsaking love. And so the song speaks uh, as, if, as if God is speaking to us. And uh, part of the song goes like this. Even if you run away from me, God says, over the mountains, through the valleys, I will not rest, but search east and west to bring you back with me. And even if you stomp and scream and huff and tell me that I'm not good enough, I'll take every swing and every blow until you know my love. The unyielding love of Christ fills us with comfort and hope. Let me conclude with this this morning. Uh, Harold Vocal was a missionary to Korea during the time of the Korean War, and he was drafted into the army, and he was... Uh, uh, enlisted to become a, a chaplain to serve in the various uh, uh, prison of, prisoner of war camps. And uh, tens of thousands of North Koreans were imprisoned in these camps, and, and, and many of them were, were communists. And when Vokal entered the first camp, he, 
you know, what am I going to do? Here I am, a, a missionary, a, a chaplain, and, and how am I going to minister to these, these, these terribly broken people, many of whom are communists? And, and he decided just to, to begin by teaching them a very simple song, a song that almost all of us probably know that we, many of us have learned in Sunday school. And he taught them this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And he just taught them that song. And when he finished teaching that song in the first prison camp, he went to the second one and he taught it there. And when he finished there, he went to the third and then the fourth and he went on and on all the way down the line to teaching this song in, in every single one of those prison camps. And when he finished, he went around again, starting at the beginning. And this time he followed up by just teaching simple truths about, well, who is this Jesus of the Bible who loves us? Well, what does the Bible say about this love of Christ? And just keeping it focused and simple on a simple, basic, biblical message about the love of Jesus. And he did that for several months. And through his teaching of that simple song and these basic biblical truths, thousands of people came to Christ. And when the war was over, so many had turned away from communism to follow Jesus that the Communist Party had a really hard time finding any followers at all in that region. Those who had been communists had found something so much better. They had found the, the deepest of all possible loves. They found the unyielding and the unrelenting and the unbreakable grip of God's love in Christ Jesus, their Lord. Let us live with a deep assurance of that same love. Let us live as hyper nickel men, more than conquerors. Let us live as radicals for Christ, loving others boldly and filled with comfort and hope, knowing that we are held by a love that will never ever let us go. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer and response, I pray, O oh Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, you would breathe and work into us a deeper awareness of your deep love for us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, hear our silent prayers of response this morning. Lord, we could spend the rest of our days plumbing the depths of the deep love of Christ and never reach the bottom. But I pray, O oh Lord, that you would 
give us an ever-increasing understanding and an ever-increasing gratitude and awareness of the deep love of Christ. That we might be able to say with Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or even execution by the sword? No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh Lord, may that be our theme. May we live in that bold assurance always to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.